Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart, and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. Thank you, Michaela, for that uh, nice uh, Bible reading. Um, It's good to have you join us this evening, particularly if you are new to our church. Uh, We love having newcomers here. Uh, Just a special shout-out to a guest within us uh, who used to be part of the evening service, uh, who migrated all the way to Cape Town. Paul, welcome to Christchurch Midland once again. Give, put your hands together for her. Welcome back to the country. Um, it is great to have you join us. Um, just to say, um, we are going to be looking at part two of our mini-series that we started um, about three weeks ago. Um, so we started this series in the middle of nowhere, and then we kind of had, uh, boom, two outreach weeks, um, and then I kind of left you guys hanging. So we're picking it up from there, and I'm going to refresh us um, and refresh our memories as to what we were dealing with. Um, just to say, before we get into um, the talk, um, that if you are a reader, uh, even if you do not read, um, this book is for you. Um, this is uh, Paul Tripp's book called Sex and Money. Um, we like promoting CBD books. Uh, so at CBD, it's 165. Uh, but between me and you, uh, there's a bookshop called Augustine Bookshop, and they just sell it for 70 bucks. Uh, so that's a steal. Um, it's in uh, Pretoria uh, and also one in North Riding. Uh, so the book is called Sex and Money, and Paul Tripp is very good at um, getting to the heart of human behavior. I love his stuff on parenting, um, and I love his stuff on, um, on sex, uh, and this one is on sex and money, pleasures that leave you empty and grace that satisfies. A great book. Uh, please put it on your phone now as a reminder. Buy it on Google Books. Read it because it's a simple read. It will change your life um, as you walk with Christ. Um, Just as we continue to remind you that um, our series is uh, looking at the anatomy of the human heart. Uh, We're looking at some of the things that drive our behavior and some of the things that shape the way you and I uh, make decisions and live out our lives here uh, in the place where God um, has placed us. Um, And the first week we saw that 
uh, the heart is really, at the essence of what the heart is, it is a controlling core of every human being. Uh, so as the steering wheel is uh, to the car, so is the human heart uh, to uh, the person. It sets the direction of your life. Whoever controls your heart controls your behavior, and whoever controls your behavior changes the cause and the direction of your life. So that's what we saw uh, the first week. And Jesus uh, kind of leans in on that, and he double-clicks on that, uh, and he points to the core of human behavior. Uh, Jesus says human behavior comes from the inside out. Uh, the stuff that's on our inside comes out, and that is the stuff that uh, controls and directs um, our affairs here um, on, on uh, planet Earth. We saw that Jesus cuts deep to the human heart. He exposes what is in there, uh, and he tells us a truth that we need to hear. And that truth is that you and I make terrible bosses of our own lives and our own hearts. Uh, so that is week one. And so we continue with week two, focusing in again on the human heart. And this time around, we're looking at the human heart in relation to worship. Um, so why don't you please bow your heads as our leaders uh, in, uh, in God's word this evening. Let's pray. Father, your spirit is powerful to change people's lives and to transform people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life from kingdom of light, from being ruled by evil desires um, to being ruled by your son, Jesus Christ. That is what your word says. Uh, and so please do remind us of this power even as we uh, begin our time uh, together. I pray that you would be at work um, and remind us that Jesus is the one who should be in control and in charge of our lives and expose those areas where we haven't placed him as Lord. And so I do pray for someone who is not a believer, uh, who may not know you, uh, that as they hear about this Jesus, uh, that they may be drawn to him and want to submit their lives to him. Uh, pray for the Christian uh, that you would help us to apply the gospel in those areas where it hasn't touched. Uh, this we pray in your name and for our good. Amen. Um, someone once said that uh, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Uh, that sounds deep, doesn't it? It's one of those things you hear at um, poetry, deep poetry evenings. The heart of um, the human problem is the problem of the human heart. But what does that mean? What does it mean? Um, I think, simply put, it means that the mess in your life uh, is the result of something uh, that is within you. Uh, the mess that we see in our world is the result of the human heart. And that is simply what that statement Means And remember, as we're talking about the heart, we're obviously not referring to the physical um, organ. We're not also referring to what our culture thinks when we think of heart. Uh, we often think of it, of heart as that uh, positive thing within us, that if we were just to tap into it, uh, we would unleash our potential. That's what we often think of when we think of heart. But that's not what Jesus and the Bible is referring to when they think, when, when it speaks about the heart. The heart is the thing that makes us tick, the thing that makes us uh, make those decisions, that immaterial part of us that sets the direction of our lives. And as you read the Bible, you'll see that the heart is tainted by human sin. Uh, so it isn't in of itself pure, uh, but it requires somebody to cleanse it uh, for it to be pure. So that's what we're referring to 
when we're talking about the heart, uh, just in case you missed what I said. Uh, here's a definition from uh, one dictionary. Um, another helpful definition says that the heart is regarded as the, as the seed of emotions, the seat of knowledge and wisdom. It can also be used of the man himself. Uh, so often it ref- the Bible refers to man, um, the heart of man, uh, 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 parallel to um, the, talking about a man uh, in, in his personality uh, or his personality. It is considered to be the seed of conscience and moral character. Uh, so that is the heart. That's what the Bible encapsulates, Sekhoa, um, when it talks about the heart, right? Uh, so those different things. So if you think about the seed of your emotions, the seed of the things that you love, uh, the seed of your moral conscious, uh, then it follows that whoever sits, sits, uh, whoever sits on that seat um, controls those things. And if it is true what Jesus says, that at the seat of our emotions, um, whoever is seated there, yo, English, um, that sin is uh, at the seed of those, um, those, those things in our lives, our emotions, our personality, our conscience. It is all tainted by sin. If that is the reality, uh, then obviously what follows is that our life is going to be a mess. Our life is going to be an overflow of the sin that is deep-seated um, in us. Um, the reason why you struggle with some of the things that you struggle with is because of what's in your heart. The reason why you have said, man, this year I'm not going to spend a single cent on alcohol because I know the impacts that it has in my life and, uh, and you haven't done so is because of what's in your heart. The reason why you say and you've promised yourself that I will never again look uh, uh, lustfully at a woman. I'll never again open my screen uh, to look lustfully at a naked woman. The reason why you continue to do so, that the reason why we continue to do so is because of what's in our heart. The reason why you said, this month I'm going to watch my spending, but you haven't done so. Jesus says that there's something in your heart that is controlling um, that behavior. Perhaps you've woken up next to a stranger and you've promised yourself never again. Uh, the shame that you've bore, um, you, at that moment, when you in your shame, you're like, man, I promised myself never to do it again. Yet you find yourself in that place again. Jesus would remind you that there's something powerfully working in you uh, to want you, to lead you to desire things that you shouldn't be desiring. Amen. I still remember high school, I became a Christian at age 14, um, and that's just before puberty, right? Uh, and then puberty comes with all its passions. And I still remember these guys coming in, uh, well-meaning guys coming in uh, with that program. I, I don't know if it was a program or it was called the Silver Ring thing. How many of you uh, know the thing? Um, silver ring thing, they would come to our schools and rightfully so teach us about the dangers of immorality. Um, and then we would um, have this little paper that you signed where you promised that you will never uh, uh, do the things that you used um, to do. It was a covenant that you would sign. Um, but let me ask you this, this thing. What kind of contract is enough to stop a teen lust? 
There is none, and Jesus would remind us that because unless you deal with what's in your heart, uh, you will continue to struggle and run back at those things. Now, this is the key word that um, I want us to uh, just unpack this evening. When it comes to the heart, there's this key word that makes us run after those things that Jesus told us not to run after, and that key word is worship. Worship um, is the thing that governs our heart. Our hearts are drawn to worship. So we want to see uh, this. We want to unpack um, worship. We want uh, to look at um, four points. Uh, we're going to see first that we are designed for worship. Our hearts are designed for worship. Uh, so that's the first thing. Our hearts are designed uh, for worship. Um, but because of our sin, our hearts always want to worship anything but God. Thirdly, because we're drawn to uh, worship things that are not God, those things are going to kill us slowly but surely. Um, someone said it will eat you alive. And lastly, we're going to see that in the gospel, we need a serious heart surgery. So that's, the, that's our point. Our hearts were designed for worship. Our hearts are drawn to worship things, everything apart from God. And anything we worship apart from God uh, will lead us, um, will eat us alive. Uh, therefore, we need uh, a serious heart surgery. I'm going to open God's word. Uh, remember, we're doing a topical series, so we're not focusing on one particular uh, scripture. So if you can open your Bibles to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, it's on page 154 of your church Bibles. Looking at our first point, uh, which is that our hearts are designed for worship. Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, picking it up from verse 12, uh, Moses um, has just come back from the mountain. He, he just uh, shattered those uh, tablets of stones, and God is commanding him uh, uh, to rewrite those laws, those ten um, commandments. And this is what he says uh, to the Israelites. I'm going to read uh, verses 12 to 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, in, in all his ways, to love him uh, and to serve him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your souls, with your, all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today, notice what it says there, for your good. Notice the word and the language that he uses there. Um, remember that Deuteronomy is the key Bible, uh, Bible book that defines for Israel what worshiping Yahweh their God would look like. Any other author and writer who comes after Deuteronomy codes from there. Uh, because it is the covenant of Israel. A uh, covenant is simply an agreement between two parties. I will do this. Um, if you do this, then we'll have a good relationship. So that's what Deuteronomy is about. And notice what God says uh, to these guys that they ought to do uh, to him, that they ought to serve him and to walk, um, to walk in his ways. That simply means to live according to his law. Um, they ought to be uh, committed to him. Um, how do they do that? Verse 13 reminds us that they ought to keep those laws that God gave to them. They ought to worship the Lord with all that they are and give their all to him. That is what God calls them 
to do. And obviously the opposite of that is also possible. They could walk in their own ways. Uh, they could uh, love things other than God. Uh, they could dedicate their lives uh, to anything about God, about God, which is why God calls them um, to worship um, nothing else but him. Many of us, when we think of worship, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think worship. If you went to a church um, like ours, it's probably two hours or so, um, church service. Perhaps that's what you think of worship. Uh, there is that two-hour slot on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. If you went to, you know there's a difference between church and gerek. Yeah. Eson 20, we're talking about six hours. We're talking about pre-intercession before the service. We're talking about a hot 45 minutes of praise and worship and dancing around, uh, listening to 10 music. Glory, glory, glory. We're talking about uh, the preacher, or before the preacher comes, we're talking about 15 minutes of offering sermon. Hallelujah. Talking about 10 minutes of touch your neighbor and give them high five and tell them you are amazing in this place. We're talking about an hour, 30 minutes of sermon and translation. Now that is kereke. Amen. Bazalwan. Then after the one and a half hour preaching, we're talking about deliverance service uh, where people are lined up here. Glory. Some people have been to kereke in this place. But often I digress, ne? Back to, back to the point. When we think about worship, that's often uh, what comes to our head. If we grew up in church, um, church service, two hours, or kereke for, for six hours. Uh, and so that's what we um, sum up as worship. We would say things like, the, the worship was great today, re, re, um, referring to the type of music that we were singing probably. I uh, would say, man, I was uplifted by that um, six-hour worship uh, service. I mean, if you punch in on Google worship, uh, you'll see Google images, its hands raised up. That's what worship is according to our understanding. Um, but just to say that when the, that when the Bible, especially the passage that we just read, uh, speaks about worship, um, it it has far bigger, a far bigger scope of what worship is. It's not just those um, two hours on a Sunday morning. It's the whole 168 hours of your week. Listen to what Paul Tripp says about worship. Uh, this is from this book I'm quoting from there. He says, you were designed for worship. This means that you are always attaching the hopes, dreams, peace, motivations, joy, security of your heart to something. That is what worship is. So you don't just worship on a Sunday. You worship your way through every day of your life. And that is the reality that our hearts are made for worship. And this is what Jesus also said um, when he was confronted by this religious dude who wanted to, um, to, to trick him. They said to him, Jesus, tell us, what is the most important commandment in all of the Bible? There's over 600 laws in the Bible. Jesus tells us that one commandment that's important. And Jesus knew what, what was in their hearts. And this is what he said about the greatest commandment. And he said uh, to, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind. This is what God requires of us, that we serve him with our all. That is what our hearts were made uh, for, and that is what our hearts were made for. And obviously, as uh, Moses is writing, as God is inspiring Moses to write uh, this Deuteronomy, uh, as uh, Jesus is speaking to these guys, he knows that none of them um, can actually do this thing. None of them can dedicate their all to God. None of us in this room can dedicate our all to God. Why? Because of point two, our hearts are always drawn to worship everything apart from God. Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, please turn there with me, verse 1 to 4. The prophet Ezekiel writes at a time where Israel is in uh, exile. Exile means that they were taken from their home and plugged into another culture. And so the Babylonians came and took some of the best um, talent of Israel back in that day, and they took them into exile. And as Ezekiel uh, prophesies in, um, in exile, he, he's just weeping at the state of his nation. And these guys come to him, consulting him and wanting prophecies uh, from him and listen to uh, what he says. Some elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, this man have set up set, set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling, stumbling blocks before before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of these Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them in keeping with their great idolatry. So God responds to these guys who are coming and seeking for help. And he says the key phrase that's repeated time and time again. Have a look at verse 3. Um, it says that these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Verse 4 as well, uh, the same idea. Set up idols in their heart and put wicked and stumbling uh, block before their faces. Taking his idol into his heart and put, putting a stumbling block uh, in his inquiry before his face. These guys uh, inquired of idols. They worshipped and served uh, gods that they had made. And that is what the human heart is drawn to. And if you ask yourself a question uh, back in uh, the time of Ezekiel, God had promised them that if they turn to idols, they're going to be stuffed. Uh, They're going to be removed and uprooted uh, from their land uh, to go into exile. And so as Ezekiel is prophesying, this is what's happening. These guys have turned uh, to idols. Now, at the very last minute, they want to inquire of the Lord. But God says that from time and time again, that they set up idols in their hearts. Now, that's quite an interesting thing to say, isn't it? If you think of idol worship, it is just a block of stone, perhaps, that you bow down to. Uh, Some people worship uh, dead people. That's also a form of idolatry that is worshiping created things rather than the creator. If you just think of that act in of itself... Um, it just seems like um, it's a cultural thing. That's how we grew up. Um, I grew up in a family where we worshipped ancestors. Um, we would go early in the morning and throw a stone onto my grandfather's grave and say, Dumela Opa, as if I was speaking 
uh, to someone who was alive. That is idol worship. But it is quite interesting uh, that God speaks about us setting up idols in our hearts. I would have never thought of ancestral worship that way. I would have never thought of Baal worship that way, that it is setting up your heart, um, setting up idols in your heart. And so the question that we need to ask is, why do people worship idols? Why do they worship Baal, the god of fertility? Well, because he promises good stuff. If you worship me, your field will go well. If you worship me, uh, you will not starve uh, this year. If you just sacrifice to me, uh, then things will go well in your life. Um, so these guys fear Baal, they trust Baal, and they do anything uh, so as to ensure uh, that they are well taken care of and that their ground is fertile. So you see that at the center of it all, um, idol worship is about self-preservation. We're so interested in preserving ourselves that we would go and run after idols. The same thing applies to ancestral worship. But why do we worship ancestors? Some may say, well, it's traditions. I think some of it is tradition. Um, some would say um, that's just how things have been done or, or these things work. Um, but in reality, again, at the heart of ancestral worship is this desire uh, to preserve ourselves. It is the worship of self, me, myself, and I. The ancestors promise us wealth, good health, prosperity, and nothing can go wrong. And we fear them uh, because if you tick them off, then things are not going to go well in your life. Uh, And so that is the root of worship, isn't it? That you fear something so much that you'll do just about anything uh, so that you protect yourself from it. And the same is true of Western materialism that we find ourselves in right here in Midland. Um, It promises us uh, security. Just work, grind every day. Um, Just forget about your family uh, for 10 years. You'll see them uh, once you've uh, earned all of that. And one day in 10 years' time, you will have a relationship uh, with your kids. And so as you look around Midland, uh, you see many kids who are raised um, by DSTV and iPads. That is the life that you guys, um, as we, we live in, and it begins in the heart. Listen to this word. Are you guys still alive? Yes. Amen. 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 Touch your neighbor and, no, don't be a neighbor. <laughs> We're not at that church. Um, listen to Richard Baxter is an old um, reformer, a Puritan, whatever that means. Um, listen to what he says. He was a good guy. It is, not the prim- it's not, it is not primarily the bowing of a knee and praying to a thing which constitutes idolatry. It is the loving and pleasing and obeying and seeking and delighting in a thing which is idolatry. I just think of that language uh, referring to our own, um, our own lives and some of the things that we worship. Uh, now think about uh, this. Uh, these things that we worship, that we love, that we obey, become gods over us, become the things that master us. Um, if you worship ancestors, the fear of them will master you uh, because you can't turn to the right or to the left without uh, them allowing you to do so. And so Paul Trips uh, continues to say that as long as sin lives inside of us, in some way we are all sadly shopping for a better, more satisfying master, denying the glory of the master that by grace we've been given. 
I think it's that steep. Amen. Now, there's a non-Christian guy by the name of David Wallace. Um, and in 2005, he delivered one of the m- most uh, shocking speeches. Not shocking, but um, I think he hit, um, the, he hit the nail there as he was talking to this uh, graduate who are about to get into the so-called real world um, of working. Of working, uh, the speech is called "This Is Water," uh, and he he basically starts the speech uh, with the story of these two fish that were going around swimming around, and then the old fish says uh, to the two younger fish, "Hi boys, how's the water?" And then the two younger fish kind of look at each other and say, "What the heck is water?" And the point of it is that uh, what he says is that there's some things that um, we take for granted. Uh, there's some things that we don't think of that shape our reality. Uh, and those are often the most important uh, things. Uh, to a fish, water is like, it's everywhere. You don't think about it, but it is, it is actually essential um, to your living. And he says to them that as you go into the real world, he says, you are going to be tempted at every point uh, to worship self uh, and not to serve others. This is what he says. He says that in the day-to-day trenches of adult, adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. This is a non-Christian speaking. There's no such thing as, worship, as not worshiping. Everybody worships. If you don't worship something above yourself, uh, he continues to say that, and he says pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And non-Christian speaking, he says, if you worship money and things, if they, they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. This is a non-Christian speaking. How many um, of us have met a person we can say, man, I have enough money. I have, I have enough money. Not a lot of us uh, meet uh, those people. How many of us met Christians who have got, gone into debt uh, just so they can impress other people? Um, they bought a fancy car that they can't afford, and they say, man, the Lord has blessed me, and they come to testify that the Lord um, has blessed me. Well, in, in reality, the actual truth is that they followed their own gods, and they've loved um, status more than they've loved God. That is the reality. It eats us alive, doesn't it? And I'm not exempt from that. Um, These are the gods that we are taught to worship. He continues to say that worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Now that's deep. That's an unbeliever speaking. I don't think I need to explain that, that we live in a culture that worships uh, these things. You and I find ourselves in, the, in this culture. Worship power, he says, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need more, even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Now, that's deep. I wonder if that describes your office space. I wonder if that describes um, the kind of power struggles that you find yourself in, that the powerful are craving for more power and the weak are craving for the seeds of authority. Um, Is that your world? 
Um, I think that defines our world. He continues to say, worship your intellect, being, uh, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And he says this, but the sneaky thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you are doing. That is worship. It's like water that we we don't see. Um, It becomes part of who we are. We worship uh, these things. And and throughout the Bible, uh, you see Ezekiel saying that that is the worst exchange ever. We forsake God, the world of living water, and we dig for ourselves wells um, that um, cannot carry water. It is dirty water. Paul also says uh, that the wrath of God, the anger of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness uh, because although people know who God is and they can see his attributes, they've chosen to worship uh, anything else apart from God. And that wrath eats us alive because because God hands us over to our desires. He says, is that what you want? Uh, You want to make uh, money your God. I'm going to hand you over um, to your desires. There's a Stwana saying, by the way, Stwana is one of the best languages ever. Amen. There's a Stwana saying um, uh, that says, if a child cries for a raven, uh, then just give it to them uh, so that it may, um, what do you call it? Pick on them? What is it? <laughs> Scratch them, whatever. Um, and I think that's what God does. When we shake our fist in his face and say, we don't want to worship anything. We want to be our own gods and worship our own things. He hands us over uh, to our own desires. Um, but those desires kill us slowly because that is not what he created us um, to do. Now let's kind of uh, come close to uh, reaching our conclusion uh, with this fourth point. And that we are in serious need of change. We are in serious need of a heart transformation. And that's what we want to pick up in the fourth, um, not fourth, the third talk. Uh, that we are in serious need of a heart transformation. Remember where we come from? Uh, we are all, our hearts are made for worship. Uh, we are tempted to worship anything but God. And because we do that, uh, because we worship anything apart from God, uh, they, those things tend to eat us alive. Therefore, we need something radical to happen in our hearts, to transform them, to follow after um, a God who is much more satisfying and much more powerful. And so these are the ways that Moses says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 to 17. Um, he says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven, the he- belong heaven and the heavens of the heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your, on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of, of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Um, Moses would remind them 
uh, that for them to obey the laws that he just given them, they need a radical uh, transformation of the heart. They need a radical heart surgery. Circumcision was a sign of obedience, a sign of the covenant of saying that, God, we will obey you, uh, whatever, whatever happens. It was a radical surgery, um, but Moses would remind them that the actual circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. Uh, they need their hearts um, to be transformed. They need to love God and come to him, not seeking other things, uh, but for the sake of seeking him. Not wanting to be blessed by God, but simply coming to him. Not uh, saying, I'm going to obey you uh, because you are going to get me that mark. No, but just coming to him because he is good for you. And uh, that is what a radical transformation is. And unless you and I see that God's law and what God desires for us is good, we will always go back to worshiping everything but him. Um, we need to come to that place where we realize that God is good for us. And notice that here uh, Moses reminds them of who God is, that this is the God who created the heavens and the heavens of the heavens. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like it's something beyond us. This is the God who sees everything, who knows everything, uh, who is in touch with all of reality, uh, who's seen the beginning uh, and the end. We sang that song, Jesoki Alpha Le Omega, is the beginning and the end. That very same God uh, who knows 7.7 billion people in this world, that very same God chose the Israelites uh, as his prized possession. What, was it because they were nice people? No, Moses would remind them that it is simply by the grace of God. So he reminds them of who God is and what God has done. Uh, God has poured himself out um, to this people and has chosen to lavish his love uh, upon them. Therefore, because of that, uh, verse, uh, verse um, uh, 16 would say, circumcised therefore, the foreskin of your hand. Because of who God is, because of what God has done, circumcise the foreskin um, of your heart. That is what the Bible calls them to. Um, and as we end off, um, we realize that the ultimate place where God has lavished his love on us is in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, somebody once said that our idols, the things that we worship, require us to sacrifice and sacrifice and keep sacrificing. Uh, but this God that we worship in the Bible never requires of us that. In fact, he sacrifices himself uh, for you and for me. And he dies a death on the cross, a death that you and I deserve, uh, a death of a sinner so that we can have a relationship with God. That is a God that is worthy of our worship. Now let me pray for us um, that God would do an amazing work of working in our lives to help us um, to desire him. Father, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for your word. Um, we have a short time to uh, listen, uh, but I do pray that you would stir up in our hearts um, a desire for Christ. Um, I pray that um, you would open our eyes to see that these things that we worship uh, will eat us alive. And so in doing so, I pray that you would help us tend uh, I pray for someone this week uh, that wherever there is sin, I pray that they would begin to ask themselves a question. What am I not believing about this love that you promise? Um, what am I running to? 
And so I do pray that you'd show us that Christ is more satisfying, more glorious, and he sacrificed himself for us uh, so that we can respond in a life of faith and obedience. So give us this week hearts of repentance to live for you and to follow you wherever you've placed us. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen.